Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Block Talk Hello. Radio. That has happened first. Hello, and welcome to Walking the Unnamed Path. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Graywell. And joining me tonight, well, hopefully joining me tonight, <laughs> are my fabulous <laughs> co-conspirators or co-hosts whichever you want to call them, uh, Chris Ripple, who is on the line right now, and Chase Powers, who is having some issues calling in. Uh, I need to <laughs> get in touch with Blog Talk again to see if I can get this thing fixed. But, yes. Hi, Chris. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Michael? <laughs> Hi, Chase. No. If you're there. <laughs> no, he's not. He's message saying that he's having issues. He's using the right browser, but he cannot call in. I'm going to try something. No. But you know, let me first say you know hello and you know welcome. Right, I already did that. <laughs> But welcome to the Unnamed Path. Walk, uh, welcome to Walking the Unnamed Path. Oh, I'm a little tongue-tied. And Chase is messaging me, and I'm trying to get this fixed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Walking the Unnamed Path is a podcast dedicated to expanding on the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors of men who love men and laid out by our late brother and founder, Hyperion. We're also going to touch on general topics and ideas that, that pertain to queer pagan men in, on a daily basis. And before we begin, I would like to say a special thank you to our fellow brother initiate, Matthew Sidney, who was my co-host in the past, uh, who donated towards covering the costs of releasing these podcasts. So oh, wow. You. Uh, well, I am trying to get this fixed. How have you been, Chris? You know, what's new? You know, it's been so long since we've chatted. <laughs> but, you know, what's new? What's going on? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, if, if I can, let me also thank Matthew for that generous donation. That's amazing. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> um, gosh, what's new? I, I guess just, you know, since our last meeting... <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, this might be a little small potatoes, but uh, I actually uh, made kalbi for the first time in a while. Um, the first folks that don't know kalbi is like uh, one of the things you might get at Korean barbecue. It's the uh, beef short ribs. Uh, and I, I brought it to my mom and I actually got like a thumbs up of approval from her, which uh, it, it means a lot, especially uh, if anyone else out there has any, a tiger mom, then you know what I mean. <laughs> Uh, other other than that, it's just been, yeah, just kind of coasting, uh, doing my usual day in day out stuff. 
Uh, nothing too exciting beyond that. But I was pretty excited. <laughs> and Chase should be in. Are you there, Chase? I am here. Hey. Thanks. Thanks Yay. <laughs> you know, just keep trying until it works, I suppose. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on, Chase? That's, that's oh. usually what. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> but... <laughs> But uh, welcome, Chase. I just did our intro, and we thank Matthew, who has generously donated to making these podcasts happen. Yay! And, yay. <laughs> and Chris was just catching up with us because it's been, you know, forever a month and a day since we talked. Uh, <laughs> but how about you, Chase? How have you been? You know, oh, girl. Um, You know, it's been an exciting week. I'm in the process of moving and finding a new place and doing all of the fun things that I, as a Virgo with a Capricorn moon who craves stability and routine, absolutely fucking loves, you know, (laughs) packing and creating upheaval in my life. So, you know, that's a thing. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you were moving. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, how yeah. many spreadsheets are you working off of, Chase, for your move? Uh, So far, to be honest, none. Oh, I found your problem. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm working from a list, but not so much a spreadsheet. So, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is having to uh, come about very quickly, so I'm, I'm, I unfortunately haven't had a lot of planning time. But, you know, Ooh. that's what we do, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so far for myself, not a lot going on worse than work. Uh, I am going, well, fingers crossed that still works out. I will be going down to Houston next week. Um, the book I mentioned that I happened to be published in <laughs> last time we were on the show, uh, one of the editors, uh, Lee Harrington, who's also was a guest on Walking on Main Path in the Past, uh, he is going to be in Houston on, oh, what's the date? It's next Thursday. So that would be what? That would be April 11th. And he's going to be doing classes. And he messaged myself. He messaged myself and uh, my fellow uh, contributor who's in the Dallas area, Dr. Susan Harper, uh, to come down and be part of a class. Uh, So, yeah, that's my thing, oh, and I am currently kind of echoey. I do apologize. <laughs> I'm going to mute myself for a hot second while I try to adjust my microphone. But you should talk to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chase, um, where are you moving to? Are you moving nearby? 
different country. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now I honestly am not entirely sure. Um, I am going to probably be couch surfing for a little while, which, you know, I guess is going to be a um an adventure that my my, you know, carefully controlled little Virgo life has not uh yet been um has not yet encountered. So I'll get to see how that works for a little bit. <laughs> well, it might be out of your way, but you always have a couch here in New York, so let me know. Oh, girl. <laughs> <laughs> my, it, that's a bit of a – that might be a little bit of a commute back and forth to work, though. Well, that's an express bus, isn't it? So, <laughs> oof. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that kind of express. That's, right. That'd be very express. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm wow. better. I'm back. Uh, yeah, I'm adjusting my microphone. I adjust my position to the microphone. I may have to invest in a new headset. Because I'm using the same mic that I've been using for the past four years now that I've been broadcasting on, you know, doing the podcast. So it might be time for an upgrade. I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. I have been, I have been, I have been thoroughly pimping my uh, my headset microphone out to several people here lately because apparently it sounds really good. Yeah. Yes, you have. The great thing is, is that I can't hear myself, so. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, uh, so let's go ahead and move on to today's topic. So I messaged you know Chase and Chris about this a couple of days ago because I was just kind of you know think oh my gosh what we're we going to talk about you know we're the next show is coming up and just recently what was it. Two days ago, we observed uh, International Transgender Visibility Day. And, you know, if you don't know who I am, <laughs> I am very much all about promoting anything related to uh, trans visibility, trans rights. I have a brother who is transgender. Uh, and my boyfriend is also a transgender. So I am very much, these, the, the whole situation is very much close to my heart. So I'm very passionate about it. <clears throat> but you know, I started to think, you know, obviously it's very important to have a visibility day uh, because it's important to be seen. It's, you know, the whole the whole premise for uh, International Day of uh, Transitability was born out of the fact that uh, trans, I had it pulled up and I was going to read it, or did I? I did, yeah, I closed it. Yay for computers. Because, <laughs> let's see. Hopefully it just comes up. Here we go. Yes. So, you know, International Day of of International Transgender Day of Visibility Day of Visibility is honored every year on March 31st, and it is a time to celebrate transgender people around the globe 
and the courage it takes to live openly and authentically, while also raising awareness around discrimination trans people still face. So here, here. it got me thinking. Yes. So it got me thinking about visibility in other aspects. Uh, I read an article, I think, on the 31st, where a trans rights activist was talking about how, you know, being visible is important, but being visible is also getting transgender people killed. The people who need to be visible the most right now are people who call themselves our allies, people who mm-hmm. want to support us or will support us any way they can. They're the ones that need to make themselves seen and make themselves known. So that got me thinking on all sorts of things related to visibility. And, you know, I thought, wow, that would be a great topic to talk about with, you know, my brothers here. So what, what is your take on this? Can everyone jump at once? Um, So specifically in regards Specifically and I'm sorry Specifically in regards to uh, Trans visibility or just visibility As a marginalized person in general Both Hmm. Well um, I can't really speak Too much to the idea Of trans visibility Mm -hmm. Just simply because I'm not Um, Mm -hmm. So you know I feel like that's kind of a thing that everybody sort of has to decide for themselves on what is good and proper and safe and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, for them to do. Um, I'm sorry. I'm trying to, because of all my technical difficulties, I have had to reload all of the, you know, topics. Um, So just in terms of like being a queer person, um, I think that it is super important. It is super important to to be seen, to be visible, um, but to also be aware of sort of what your um, what your threshold for being able to do that is. Um, we talked um, we've talked about some of this stuff in the past, and you know we talked about a little bit of a little bit of it, you know, in the last episode about you know being able to be visible to other people as yourself, you know, being able to be authentic and being able to be visible, you know, as a, as a queer person to stand up and say, you know, yes, there are queer people. We do exist. You cannot bury your head in the sand and pretend that we are not here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, in terms of, um, in terms of show uh, of being visible as an ally, um, really that's, kind of that's kind of tricky um because you start getting into things like you know people who show up basically looking for either absolution or uh kudos and it's not really the job of marginalized people to either absolve someone of guilt or complicity or to you know give somebody kudos for being you know, quote unquote, a good person. 
Um, you know, that's something that a lot of people struggle with, you know, because we all kind of want to be seen as good people. Um, and so, you know, there is that desire for that validation that, you know, if you're going to be an ally to people, you have to get over the desire for that validation. Um, you don't do it because you don't do it because you're looking for someone to tell you what a good person you are. You should be doing it because it's a thing that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. I agree. I, I, you know, I'm, I guess there's so much to talk about as far as visibility. Um, maybe you could like round back to that after I, I would definitely want to respond to Chase a little bit. I think like this idea of allyship is something that I personally, um, I guess your views on it, right? I've, I've been able to uh, spend a lot of time focusing in on what does it mean, right? What is what is allyship, and what is allyship with a capital A, and what does allyship look like, you know? And something um, I guess I personally realized as as um, as someone that's a person of color, as a queer person, and also as someone that's striving uh, to be an ally, like like something that I've come up with or come to. Um, I guess the realization of is that allyship is um is a changing and immutable thing. I think that um you know some allyship looks very different in different times, you know, and you, you could say different times as in the actual uh year, but it could also look differently uh at the different stages of maturity of a certain movement, you know. Um so sometimes allyship looks like um uh, I think like our last show, we kind of touched upon a little bit about Chase and his his um, hobbies, right? Being <laughs> uh, the gang of the fights online. And then sometimes uh, allyship looks like that, right? Sometimes allyship does look like stepping up and uh, taking a blow um, for someone um, that might not be strong enough or they might not be in a safe space. Um, and uh, sometimes allyship looks like um, just holding space, you know, um, I, you know, I, I, something, I guess like for me, what I've kind of come to is this idea of allyship. I, I, I agree with you, Chase. I feel like the term ally is not something that should be, um, like taken or, um, or, um, necessarily like, um, advertised. It's more something that you strive towards, you know? Uh, I feel like allyship is a, is a continual stepping up to the plate and then being aware enough to know uh, what is required in the situation, you know? Um, like, um, so, like, uh, there's a couple of different examples, right? Sometimes um, allyship looks like um, stepping up in those moments. I mean, I, I feel like we've all been in those situations where um, – like jokes or even comments that uh, whoever's making the comments, they might have felt that uh, safe enough to say it because uh, the community that it's impacting is not present, right? Uh, and then, you know, it's like in those moments, um, we have the opportunity, right, to step up in, in our allyship, to to embrace our allyship. Uh, um, and obviously, sometimes you might not feel safe enough to do so, and um, and the moment passes and, you know, it, it, that's understandable. It's okay. Um, but I don't know, sometimes, um, 
I know, I'm just thinking about some like like uh, references in movies. I remember the Malcolm X movie. Uh, I'm not sure if you, you all saw it, but there's this great scene where um, uh, I can't even remember the context around necessarily, but there's this one uh, very well versed uh, white woman that comes up to Malcolm X in the movie, and she says, you know, she says, "Oh my God!" And you know, she basically totally is looking to back his movement or uh, the community's movement, and she asks him like, "What can I do?" And his response is nothing, you know? And, you know, you could tell from her face that she was very surprised by that. But sometimes that's what allyship looks like. Sometimes there's a moment when the community needs to step up and claim their power. And then there are moments when uh, community members um, might require protection, right? Especially those who um, are not safe, Um I don't know. I also think about visibility and how sometimes um, sometimes visibility can be uh, controlled and sometimes it can't, right? So uh, I, I remember, you know, like being a queer person, um, sometimes, right, depending on your behavior and things like that, or you might, uh, you might try to become invisible in, in that way and not be visible in that identity uh, for the sake of your safety. Um, but some communities don't have that as an option, right? Um, like POC cannot become invisible in their POC identity. Um, trans folk um, uh, may or may not, depending, right? Um, but um, it's uh, it's interesting because it, you know I feel like visibility and allyship is very much connected in that way. <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling on it a little bit, but um, yeah, I, I like that we're speaking about allyship around visibility because I, I think um, I, I, I'm personally of the opinion that um, the movement needs allies, uh, but we need uh, capital A allies. You know, we need allies uh, that know when uh, the, the movement requires a shield, and we, we need allies that know when the movement requires um, financial backing and backing in the voting booths, and we need allies uh, that know when it requires uh, stepping down from the mic and, and holding the mic um, away from their mouth so that the community members can speak, you know? Uh, so, yeah, I, I think growing allies is, uh, is a huge piece, and I think that person that wrote that article is speaking about uh, Specifically to the trans community, it's like the trans community is under attack, you know. Uh, we hear about all these deaths that are happening uh, in this country and around the world all the time. Uh, so absolutely, I think that, um, I think those who are um, looking to do something about it uh, should educate themselves about how best to be an ally in that moment, in that place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I very much agree with everything both of you just said. I would there's a couple things that popped in my head while you know we're both um, talking. One thing that I that had come up in conversations I've had with other people who focus on social justice issues and whatnot is you know you cannot label. Something that comes up is uh, the fact that you yourself should not label 
yourself an ally. It is mm. a <clears throat> title bestowed upon you by uh, disenfranchised people. Yes. Yeah. Um, and only then are you an ally. Um, if very much like you were saying, Chris, you know, well, actually, both you both said about how allies. If you're if you are someone who wants to be an ally, you need to learn when to shut up and let the people you're wanting to help talk. Mm-hmm. I think someone who pops in my head, you know, whenever someone, whenever people talk about that, is I am. Oh my God, I'm blanking on her name. Um, in Portland. As a podcast. T Thorn Coil? Yes. Uh, when I've seen, yeah, when I, yeah, T Thorn Coil, when I've seen videos of her at different, like, pagan events or whatnot, and it's social justice issues she's talking about, she always would say, um, if there's a person of color, or some other minority here, I want them to speak first, or something similar to that. She'd always mm-hmm. focus on POC first, and white people came second. Mm. Yep. I think. Um, I don't know. I. I I, I think uh, just as, 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 you know, lest we be too prescriptive, you know, I, I think that, um, I mean, I've seen folks that are looking to be allies, uh, and then um, sometimes in your attempt at allyship, you could be disenfranchising of the marginalized community, or you could be exoticizing them, or, you know, like these are things that are, are at risk, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think if any of our listeners or any, anyone um, is looking to be an island, I think it's just really important just really to educate yourself, you know? Um, like I personally, uh, I embrace the work of building allyship and building out al- within myself and also within others, you know? Like I, 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 I do embrace the work of like um, educating allies or potential allies around me. Um, but at the same time, it's, that's a, a lot of emotional labor, you know? <laughs> I know many community members um, that just feel frustrated by it um, because they feel like, why is all my power and energy going towards uh, non-community members? Why is it going towards educating folks that are already empowered and I'm striving to have that power, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, not a, it's not a clear, I feel like allyship is never um, a stagnant thing. I think it, it changes, you know? Um, like moment to moment, not even community to community, but moment to moment. Um, I think, um, so those that are striving to be allies, I would say, um, do your work, you know, (laughs) I don't mean to say that in a way that's like dismissive, but really like an ally should be, um, accessing what's available to them. Um, and that's being presented by the community. So not just a, a human resources, um, don't use X, don't use these words, kind of a list. Although, I mean, sometimes minimally that could be helpful on some level, but uh, there's so many resources online uh, on ways to be a good ally, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And I think also just checking in, um, ch- 
checking in with the community about how best to be an ally in that moment, you know? So I'm thinking about mm-hmm. um, if, if there is a march or if there is a rally or if there's an event you're going to and um, you're entering a space that's maybe uh, created for uh, trans people and trans voices, um, yes, absolutely. Maybe taking a step back is the way to do it. Um, but also um, checking in with the community ahead of time to see, hey, is my presence itself a challenge to the work you're trying to do here, right? Um, and it might be, right? So it might not be a space that's created uh, or intended for um, ally building, but more like community building. So in which case, um, you know, part of being a good ally might be not attending, right? Uh, depending on what it is. Um, I know that was something that a lot of people ran into um, on the, uh, for the, uh, gosh, the Keystone Pipeline. Uh, the protests for that was sure. that there were a lot of, you know, there were a lot of probably very well-meaning white people who would show up and announce how they were going to be of assistance to the communities there rather than sort of show up and be like, I am here to do a thing. What needs doing point me in that direction? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know I've also had um, even here recently, I've had person, I've had interactions in my personal life um, or in my semi-professional life with people who have made, you know, in, in the instance of, of trans people have made extraordinarily transphobic comments. Um, and then, you know, immediately started shutting down when they were called on that. And it's like, well, you know, I understand that you don't, you may not have, you know, you may not have the experience of, you may not know trans people. Chances are you probably do. And they just haven't, you know, come out to you as being trans. But, you know, I, I, you know, if, if, if you are, if you are spouting these things because of a fear or, you know, because you don't understand, I highly encourage people to go out and educate themselves. But like, mm-hmm. much like you were saying, like, don't go to the people in that community unless they offer it. Like, we, it is 2019 people, you have access to the Google machine, like, go look some shit up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are countless, countless people on Twitter, on Facebook, on, hell, probably even Instagram, who are putting out these very, you know, well well put together threads of of commentary talking about specific issues relating to, you know, various marginalized communities where they talk very specifically about, you know, things that they deal with and ways that people who don't have those experiences can be of support. So rather than, you know, if you're if your trans friend says, hey, if you could, you know, knock it off with the misgendering, that'd be super great. You know, if you want to be an ally, just do that. But also, mm-hmm. like, if you're trying to understand things, you know, don't go to that person and be like, hey, can you explain to me what what being trans is like? Because chances are that person is literally just trying to get through their day. And, you know, maybe don't do that. <laughs> Um, and, you right. know, as, as, as gay, as gay men, 
you know, that is a thing that we often also experience in, you know, the, the ways of like, which one of you is the man and which one of you is the woman? What is gay sex like? Which one of you, which one of you takes and which one of you, you know, which one of you receives and which one of you gives, you know, uh, incredibly invasive and ignorant comments. And, you know, some of them are, some of them are absolutely offered in bad faith. You know, some of them are absolutely offered because the person is ignorant in the way, in, in the truest meaning where they do not know the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then some of them are offered in really bad faith because the person, it's not that the person doesn't want to know or that the person doesn't know. It's that the person wants you to be a spectacle or wants you to try and, you know, wants to try to do the gotcha on somebody. Um and, you know, the thing is, is that if you, you know, recognize that you, as someone, as someone who is trying to be of support, uh, trying to be of service to a marginalized community that may not be your own, mm-hmm. to recognize that the person that you are talking to does not know whether or not the questions you are asking or the, the things you are offering are being done in good faith or whether you are trying to screw with them, basically. Um, you know, to, to not expect that the other people around you are going to be mind readers, you know, realize, you know, this is something that I have had to deal with a lot being, you know, the white guy, um, you know, what, especially the white guy from the South, you know, I have, (laughs) I have the drawl, I have the, you know, I have the twang, um, and especially when people, you know, I've had a lot of people, especially up here, I've had a lot of people who are, you know, people of color who are like, oh, you're a white guy from Texas? Ooh. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, uh, yes, I am a white guy from Texas, but also, like, there's a reason that I'm from Texas and not currently in Texas, you know. Um, and you sort of have to be able to roll with that and not get, you know, don't get offended if somebody doesn't offer you the most generous, you know, interpretation or the most generous assumption about your motives. Because oftentimes, you know, especially for those of us who are part of marginalized communities, mm-hmm. try to recognize that, you know, when you're dealing with somebody else who is from another community, that they are somebody who has encountered trauma and that you know you can't you can't be upset with people who have been traumatized for having a reaction to trauma mm-hmm. um and you know and in terms of allyship this is another thing that often comes up where people are like well fine if you're going to be mean to me then i'm just not going to support you right you know it's like well mm, no no you should be able to you should be able to do the right thing regardless of whether individual members of a group are nice to you. Right. Like that that's that should never even be part of the consideration, I think, um of whether mm-hmm. somebody is nice to you or whether somebody's a complete asshole because the great thing is is that you don't have to like everybody. You know, you don't have to be you know, this is uh this is life. This is not RuPaul's best friend race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so you can still do good work for people and do good work on behalf of communities and still not care for certain members of that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think like, um, 
that's an, that's another piece of allyship. It's like if it is something that you're striving towards and you acknowledge that you may not be the best at it, then part of that is that you have to be um, like part of you stepping up to the ally plate is you accepting the possibility that you're going to fuck it up, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And um, like, and honestly, it happens all the time. It's the most well-meaning person, right? Brings their power uh, to, and then they're looking to bring their power to a cause, best intention. We're not assuming any maliciousness at all. We're assuming all positive intent. Um, but yet, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, you have that, you have that instance where you need to be checked sometimes, you know, and I, I would, I would put it out there. Like, I, I, I don't want the message to be like, oh, well, if you are afraid of making that mistake and just don't do it at all, because, uh, allyship is important, you know, but it's more like, um, when you're stepping up to that, um, be open to that critique, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, also, just because we're speaking to a pagan audience, um, just from my personal experience, um, I feel like, like in a magical context, we often speak about intent being the most important thing. And I've heard that used to justify um, like all the above that we've been talking about. You know, so my intentions were pure, my intentions were good, and then that's it. Like dust my hands off. You know. Um, but I think it's an important lesson, uh, maybe especially for the pagan community, because we have uh, access to um, to our own power, right? We have access to uh, potential allyship. Is like just realizing that intent is is um, almost insignificant. You know, um, the impact is what's most important. You know, so if someone's telling you that your behavior, your presence, your insert any, any of the above, uh, the impact of that was X, Y, Z, then if you are fixated on your intention being other than what was the impact, then you're not being an ally, you know? Uh, and that's something to, to uh, explore, you know? Anyway, mm-hmm. so I know we've been uh, <laughs> speaking about allyship a, a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, I think it's important, you know. <laughs> yeah, allyship is a great way is a great form of visibility, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's so many other examples of visibility out there. Uh, you know, a few of them being like Pride. Yeah. You know, yeah. World Pride. We celebrate Pride in the summer and whatnot. Well, most people celebrate Pride in the summer. Uh, but it is very much a statement is very much a it's basically saying I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, visibility is a state of being able to be seen um, and you know or readily noticed as who you are, as who like I am a you know queer man of color, you know, like you said before, Chris, I cannot you know, hide the fact that I'm a person of color, but I can mm-hmm. be visible as a person of color within my community as a queer person mm-hmm. or as a pagan. Yeah. So if, if you think about the modern pagan movement, it is very much a white 
movement. But there are large sections of people of color in there who just aren't noticed as often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember hearing of uh, like stories at uh, Pantheacon. Now, I'm gonna. I really didn't want to go into like, oh, I heard this, I heard that. That's really how story gets around about things that happen. But uh, you know, I heard I heard a situation where a woman went into a hospitality. She was a person of color, and they thought she was a maid. Kind of mm-hmm. clean up the alley suite. Oh Lord. So, yeah. This is like years. I don't know if it's gotten better. You know, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But that is something in the past that we hear about. <laughs> I guess it, yeah. I don't know if it's gotten better or worse. So. Uh, you know, honestly, being having having been, you know, I, I haven't, you know, full disclosure, I haven't been, I haven't gone to Pantheon in in years now, um, but I have been privy to a lot of the discussions that have happened both during and after events and you know I you know like you said you hear stuff um and you know I got to say in in some respects I think that they try to make it better and then in some respects you get the vocal crowd who's like nah we're going to you know we're going to go back to being bigoted assholes mm. Um, and that's really super unfortunate, you know, and it is really super unfortunate that people of color get treated so shittily within the pagan community because, like, everybody and their mother at this point has heard every white person in the universe talk about the goddess this and paganism that. And, like, I would love to hear more from people of color. I would love to hear people of color not get fucking shouted down because they dared speak on the goddess or, you know, like, it's just, it's dumb. It's dumb. It's just dumb. People need to, people really, like, white, we white people take up too much goddamn space. You know, we really do. We take up too much fucking space. Um, and uh, we're also boring. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying. Um, yeah. You also have to be visible as a queer person. You know, you have to yeah. put yourself out there as a queer person. And even as a pagan, you put yourself oh, yeah. out there as a witch. So, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm trying to get to is we put ourselves out there so that people know that we exist. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Or that, oh, I'm not alone. There is someone else like me out there. Right. And even, even yep. more so within uh, TOC circles, if I'm out, like, I, have, I actually have it on my grinder profile that I'm a queer witch. <laughs> that, and I get, I actually get messages from people who are like, oh my gosh, you're a witch? I am too. Or, you know, I've been practicing for only like a couple of months, blah, 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 blah. you know, and we actually talk about divination and other stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, right. You know, I'm doing a little bit of, you know, reaching out and, you know, reaching out to my community. Yeah. Like that. 
Yeah, I, I resonate with that experience too, Michael. Like, um, well, first off, I you know I I've been to uh, like taking events, and even here in New York, where my people might assume there's a lot of ethnic diversity. Um, like I've been to like taking events where you know people think I'm the bartender or people think I'm a waiter, you know, and they might ask me for a drink or something, and they just assume that I'm not part of the community. Um, I've actually met other POCs with similar experiences, and we kind of bonded over that too. You know, speaking about like you know, I feel like everyone here thinks I'm like the waiter, you know. Um, so I mean, that even in like a place like New York that happens, so you know. Uh, it's definitely a real experience. Um, regarding like um, like our spirituality and our um, our ethnicity, uh, I might have mentioned, maybe I didn't mention, but last year in 2018, I was part of um, the original conversations for something we called KQD Con, which was the uh, Korean Queer Trans Conference. It was the first ever uh, national. I'm not sure how often it's going to happen, <laughs> uh, but conference. Uh, and there was just an amazing gathering of folks who identify as queer, trans, gender nonconforming, and Korean, uh, and their families, too. So amazing show up of families and um, uh, siblings, uh, friends. Uh, but you, you know what's strange? Like, even though I was part of the um, original conversations for it, and one of, the, one of the topics that we wanted to center around was um, spirituality and religion, um, I was floored because there were like three workshops hosted about non, um, like non-monotheistic religion, you know? So there was one where we just talked about astrology the whole time. And then there's another one where uh, we're talking about like um, uh, Korean shamanism and how there's a bit of like um, a renaissance happening uh, with the youth of the community. Uh, and it was incredible. It was incredible just to see it. And I remember just being like uh, amazed by it and surprised by it. And, and for so long, those two worlds, even though, like, I was out uh, in both worlds, those two worlds just never intersected in my experience, you know? So to see that was just incredible. So a quick shout-out to KQDCon. Thank you. <laughs> um, thank you for surprising me at this, at this time in, my, uh, in the game. Um, yeah. I, I wonder, like um, – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, 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 Speaking of visibility, I, I know for for me, like um, my coming out process was a large part of um, my choice uh, to be visible, you know. And um, in many ways, I was uh, privileged in that I was able to be invisible, right? Even though it was killing me, <laughs> even though it was like eating away, and it was just, um, uh, I you know, obviously, like I wasn't in a good place. But I could pass. Uh, I could pass a straight. Um, and then uh, I think when I chose to be visible, um, I don't know, it, there was a lot that came with it. One was just like my own personal health. I just, I, for me, I was at a breaking point personally. And I just mm-hmm. knew that um, uh, in a very real way, um, I could not, um, I don't know, I, I think I just, I felt like it wasn't living while not being invisible, uh, while being invisible. Um, I do want to pause here to say that I, I'm not uh, implying that that's the case for everyone. I, um, and, you know, I, I, don't want to, I don't want that to be the message that, like, there's no life in invisibility. I understand that, um, 
uh, we as queer people, uh, we need to uh, often negotiate that interaction to interaction, the, this idea of safety and visibility. Um, I know for me, I, I, you know, I, I felt strong enough and safe enough. And in that moment, um, I chose visibility, you know. Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, that's perfect. Because that's actually something we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, yeah. Because, yeah, you know, being visible has its drawbacks. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that in just a second. Because <laughs> okay. um, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, but I kind of wanted to ask what your thoughts were on, you know, do you think that, do you think that there is a big difference between being visible and being represented? Hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. So much yes. Hmm. Sounding upon that. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, it's, it's one thing for it's one thing for queer people to be to be visible, you know, because in in some respect, in in one way or another, you know, the fact that we exist and that people can see us and can know that we, you know, that people know that we are we are a thing that we exist. But representation, I think, is more about seeing the amazing and incredible diversity that we exist in. Um, you know, uh, I have a I have a I have a good friend who is an author, um, and he often hosts chats, as it were, on his Facebook page about visibility. Um, he is a gay man, and he writes queer fiction, um, especially ex- exceptionally uh, queer centric fiction. Um, and you know, he tries very hard to have good representation for people to show that, you know, not all gay men are, you know, not all gay men are, you know, limp-wristed, effeminate men, but that the ones that are, are still badasses. Mm. You know, that, that there is, you know, that, that not all men, not all gay men are, you know, big, you know, macho butch things, but, you know, that some of the ones that are big macho butch things are, you know, incredibly gentle and sweet and, you know, like growing flowers or something, you know, um, to show that we are not caricatures. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes what oftentimes what happens with, you know, with, I guess, lower visibility is that um, people only see one sort of aspect that they engage with, where representation is more of like seeing us or seeing the person, seeing whoever is being represented as being, you know, a complex being, you know, rather mm-hmm. than just sort of a, a stereotype or a caricature. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm actually, I'm going to ask you, Michael, if that's okay. I'm wondering what you mean by visibility and representation and what distinction are you making between the two? So, so when I think about visibility, I think, mm-hmm. you know, actually I think about, you know, how I am every day putting myself out, how my trans brother is putting himself out there as 
in transmitter color. Um, or how even you know you you are out there out there as a uh, a queer Asian man. Uh, I also, but I also think that when we are out there out there and we are involved in things like being involved in this podcast, you know, I'm being visible as someone who is you know, POC and queer, or even you two as being queer, and in your case, Chris being POC and queer. Uh, but we're also representing, I guess. I think I'm confusing myself. <laughs> but we are, we're, we're representing our community. You know, we're representing, you know, people's color. We're representing, you know, queer pagans. Or you know, queer POC. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, I'm really getting myself confused. Pagan POCs and whatnot. And I see it blurred a lot, but I can also see it separate. Like when Obama was elected as the first black president, he was very much representation for. Mm-hmm. Our country was representation for the black community. He was uh, he was a symbol, but you know he was also he was obviously he was very visibly black, uh, and he was being visible for the whole world to see mm-hmm. as a part of our country. Wait, and wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. We had a black president? <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, I miss having an articulate, intelligent individual as a president. <sighs> it seems like only yesterday. Hmm. But do you kind of see where I'm going to or just like talking and not making cases at all? No, um, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, no. Totally. And um, in terms of that kind of representation, I think that um, what I would say me is that uh, it's. I think it's going to be down to the individual person. You know, this is something that I, I wanted us to talk a little bit about later. But the idea of things like respectability politics, like, you know, yes. Be be cognizant of the fact that, you know, you may be the example that someone looks at for, you know, what is a queer person, mm. but also, like, don't let that dictate to you that you must be a certain way, you mm. know, because like, you know, like black people or Asians or, you know, queer people we are not we are not culturally monolithic you know mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a pretty wide variety of you know of us and we all have our own different things um and so you know it's not necessarily fair to yourself or certainly not fair to expect that other people be able to you know be a quote unquote good representation of their community because mm-hmm. again 
we're all people, and we're all just trying to get through the day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that's uh, that definitely happens in the queer community too, right? Especially earlier on uh, when we're looking to um, strive and work for like uh, acceptance or even tolerance, right? There was um, a large push for people to stop running around naked or there was like um, a phamophobia, which is still around now, right? So this idea of like, oh, we're just like you. Uh, and Ugh, part of our past. I, yeah, you, you, you see like a little segment of that in, in the, the movie Flawless, right? In, in that meeting where uh, there was a contingent of, of gay men. They were like kind of in like shirts and ties and suit jackets. They're saying, we want respectability, so this is what we got to do. Um, log, log cabin Republicans. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's Blech. interesting because I know, I know that um, – I mean, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week, but I come from a social justice um, background. I, I worked as a community organizer. And there's definitely, um, I mean, whether or not there should be, right, there's definitely some realness to that, you know? And I feel like this is something that, um, this is something that definitely the POC community deals with all the time. It's like this idea of being white enough, right? Uh, this happens mm-hmm. in the in the workplace where, um certain um, clothing items uh, are unacceptable or are deemed unacceptable or certain hairstyles, right, uh, or deemed unacceptable. Um, um, this is like one of the sexes kind of punchline, like, oh, you know, white people are watching, right? It's like this idea of like, and that's a very real experience. Um, so I know that some of my colleagues, for sure, um, they absolutely do do that, and they do it very intentionally, and they do intentionally in the presence of the folks that are in power, right? Uh, because they're striving for their own power. So some of it, it, it you know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily celebrate the need for that, but I also don't want to dismiss it as just um, being a sellout, you know? Um, because I think it, it, it points to a very, very real experience of, of marginalized communities that sometimes um, something's passing a little bit or kind of normalizing your differences um, is what empowerment looked like at first, you know? Um, I mean, if you think about it, even now, we're all walking around dressed like white people, right? This is like white fashion, right? Uh, international, <laughs> like international business, right? Uh, sometimes you might see women that wear the ethnic uh, clothing, but actually the shirt tie jacket is like standard, right? And there's a reason. It's because white people are in power. Uh, it's because that's a standard set by uh, white people by international business, you know? Um, so I think, I think that idea of, like, um, uh, embracing the culture or assimilating for the sake of your own empowerment, is, it's a very real experience, and I don't necessarily want to celebrate it, but then I also, you know, I, I don't want to just, um, pass it off as like selling out too, you know, because I think it's something that people have to do to survive sometimes, you know. Um, yeah. At the same time, in the movie, just just to be clear, I was definitely rocking on the drag queens. You know what I mean? I was like, oh fuck that shit, you know. <laughs> uh, because because really that contingent was trying to squash a part of their diversity, a part of their diverse community, right? So I feel like that is disempowering, absolutely, you know. Um, yeah. You know, I think. Yeah. <laughs> And that basically ties into what you were talking about earlier, Chris, where you're talking about 
you know, being able to be visible is, I mean, it's, it's a privilege to be visible, to mm. be able to, you know, say, I am my, I am me, I am myself, I am this, I am that. But in some situations, it's just, it's not possible for some people. And yeah. I don't think, I definitely don't think we should ever, ever shame someone who cannot come out or yeah. cannot, yeah. you know, be who they are for safety's sake. Yeah. Because I'd yeah. rather them still be now than join the ancestors early. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if uh, I can make, like, one change, I would say, like, maybe not visibility itself is a privilege, but access to safe visibility is a privilege, you yeah. know? Like, and many yeah. people don't have that. Um, they don't have, some people don't even have it as an option, right? They don't even, they, um, you know, for whatever reason, how they present, uh, whatever it might be, they're not safe, whether they're intentionally being visible or not, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then folks that actually have access to safe visibility, even if it is in like, um, like we talked about pagan gatherings, right? Where um, folks that are not out of the broom closet might be open and out there. So they have access to that, whether it's financial or distance or just availability, right? Um, and mm-hmm. that happens kind of in all in all communities as well. So not not having that access to safe visibility is is, is definitely, or having access to the safe visibility is definitely a privilege that not all of us uh, experience for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Let's all take it's a breath true. together. This is heavy stuff, so yeah, let's all take a breath together because it's it's real. Yeah. 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 You know what's interesting though is I I've definitely noticed like um like we, we spoke about many communities, right? I definitely noticed more um more like POC like pagans, like in, at events. Um, I've noticed more POC pagans in leadership roles or writing books, you know, um, or blogs or podcasts, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think it's, 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 um, it is changing, but obviously, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing, you know. I've personally never been to Pantheon, but I heard that there's actually like a pagans of color uh, group or um, a caucus of some sort. Uh, there's oh, a there has been in the past a hospitality suite. Oh, okay, great. So mm-hmm. I, I sorry I didn't know the terminology, but that, when I heard about that, I was like, wow, that's amazing, you know. Um, so it's interesting. A lot of work is being done for sure, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've heard it goes well, provided that there's not a bunch of racist assholes who try to crash the door. <laughs> oh boy. Because <laughs> cause you get those. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, um, I think that, um, you know, I think that in terms of, of, you know, that kind of visibility and the safety of being out, I mean, I didn't come out, I did not come out officially as being gay and being pagan, ironically, speaking of Pantheacon, until I was 23 or 24, um, Mm -hmm. I went to Pantheacon and posed with a picture uh, of one of my best friends with a posed with one of my best friends for a picture and the picture got posted to Facebook and it was posted publicly and my name was tagged in it and my 
parents found it because, you know, they found it. And, um, you know, so I got outed, as it were, um, of not only being of not only being pagan, but also being gay, because like a, a lot of the people who were commenting were talking about, you know, how great it was to be hanging out with, you know, unnamed past people and how great it was to, you know, being with other gay people was, you know, super great. And um, so, y- you know, um, all's well that's ended well. But, you know, uh, I I didn't come out officially until quite late. Uh, for myself um you know within the last uh, i guess slightly over 10 years now um so you know i also grew up in a very uh i grew up in a very rural part of texas that was exceptionally conservative and you know a lot of the people i don't really you know i don't really have any communication with a lot of the people that were from there um and the few that i do are the people who turned out to be either queer themselves or who turned out to be amazing people who saw the, you know, awful place we were all from and did what I did, which was run the hell away. Um, You know, so you, you do have to be, I think there's a delicate sort of balancing act that has to happen. Like you need to know, you need to know when to be, when to be out, you know, you need to know your personal safety needs to be a concern But also, like, we need to know that, you know, while I would never, while I would say no, absolutely not, never shame someone for choosing not to be out, you know, if you are thinking about coming out, you know, do so safely, clearly. But also, like, Mm -hmm. know that being, quote unquote, safe is not always being, is not always compatible with standing up for what's right. Mm. You know, sometimes, sometimes you have to put yourself, sometimes you have to put yourself in harm's way in order to stand up for a thing that you know to be the right thing. Um, You know, whether that be literally putting your body in between a crazy white man and a person of color that that person, that that man is assaulting on a train, um, as was done by a couple of people here in Portland, um, Mm. or, you know, whatever that looks like, you know, whether, you know, sometimes that looks like standing up at the water cooler and telling, you know, your coworker, hey, that, you know, that transphobic joke is not funny. And we don't talk like that around here. Mm-hmm. You know, taking sometimes taking the risk of being the unpopular person to stand up for what is the right thing to do is what you got to do. Um, but that kind of a decision has to be very personal. Like there's not a, there's not a rule of thumb or like a guideline for how, how to do that or how to be that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah. for me, that's one of the things that's been really important about now that I am out of being, you know, being loudly homosexual, you know, being <laughs> aggressive, being aggressively queer, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, A, you know, there's probably a certain amount of, like, I'm going to make up for some lost time here, but also, you know, to try and carve out a space for the people who are coming up behind me to maybe not have to do all of the fighting and not have to do all of the, you know, being aggressively queer, where they can just be queer. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Chase, when you were talking... You reminded me of a scene from the movie Milk, where mm-hmm. um, they were they were I I cannot remember exactly what they were fighting against at that particular moment, 
but they were talking about who's out, who, who, who here is not out. We need everyone to come out to let people know that we exist. Mm-hmm. And I, it was, when you were talk, when you when you were talking about uh, oh my gosh now I'm blanking you know choosing the time to be out and how it help me out here <laughs> um, choosing the choosing the choosing the time that is appropriate for you to come out you know a time mm-hmm. which is which is not about necessarily safety but is about like the right time to do it. That definitely makes me think of that scene because there was one person who I think there were a few people in the scene that were like I'm not out yet, and they were like you know get on my phone, and someone he and that person was like you know I'm going to do it, and he came out and they had someone there to help them. Mhm. Mhm. Yep. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I have to say I, I liked that. I really enjoyed that movie a lot, despite the fact that they picked a straight guy to play Harvey Milk. Um, but um, I think of all of, of all of his quotes, I think the one that really resonated with me in terms of like the way that like the way that I'm, the way that I'm going to try to be out in the world is the quote about if, uh, if a bullet should enter my brain, let that bullet destroy every closet door. Mm. You know, like I, I reached a point in my life and I have reached a point in my life. I reached a point in my life then and have reached a point in my life now where like going back in the closet is not a thing, you know, like I can't be, I'm not going to be quiet about being gay. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to play straight to make somebody feel comfortable, you know? And if that means that I put myself if for myself, if I put myself in more danger because of that, then so be it. You know, at least I will have served a purpose to be out and be an example for people of like, you can be out and you can do this and, you know, fuck everybody who tells you you can't, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and there, you know, there is the idea. And, you know, I know that we're going to talk about this soon, probably, but, you know, there is that idea of like, there are consequences to being visible. You know, there are consequences and hazards of being visible. Yeah, I mean, we've talked, we've touched on a few of those, like the fact, even just you know talking about Harvey Milk, you know, he was very visible, and um, because of his visibility and other reasons, he was assassinated, you know, and being visible has so many other things that we need to consider, like, you know, what are you putting? You can by being visible put yourself in danger. That shouldn't, I really don't think that should be a deterrent to being visible because I'm trying to think how <laughs> I'm wanting to work this. Uh, well, I mean, girl, walking uh, across the street is dangerous. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that makes me think of something I tell my mother all the time because my mother is one of those who's like, oh no, don't go out. No, only, you know, bad things happen when you go out. A bad thing could happen by opening the door. A bad thing could happen when I get into my car. A bad thing could happen when I just going into the other room. Bad things are going to happen. <laughs> but like you know, going on with that quote from Harvey Milk, if you know, my kind of tying it into what we're talking about, you know, if my being visible causes something to happen, let it 
be what's the word? Let it be something that people notice that people, you know, stand for or well stand against or however I'm trying to say it. <laughs> so yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, talking about talking about danger, just to give you know, I was reading a I was reading a really great I've been reading um Gordon White's book, The Chaos Protocols. Um, and he was talking about how terrible people are at, you know, um, assessing danger and risk, you know, and he gives a couple of great examples of like, you know, people talk about that um, the uh, this, the the smoker at the airport who's worried about his plane crashing, you know, the likelihood of the plane crashing is, you know, one in hundreds of thousands if not millions right the likelihood of smoking killing you significantly higher um you know in terms of like dangerous stuff that happens um uh recently for example uh the cdc released a thing talking about over two hundred thousand people every year go to emergency rooms because they've slipped and fallen in the shower or in the bathroom right but like we don't we don't not go to the bathroom, you know, we don't not take showers because, you know, 200,000 people, you know, almost 25, you know, almost 250,000 people a year get hospitalized. You know, we don't not go to the bathroom. We still do that. You know, if you look at the, you know, if you look at the, I guess, just the sheer numbers, you know, of people who are queer and out versus people who are queer and out and get, you know, assaulted or murdered, like, it's not that high, you know, however, comma, you know, it's not, it's again, anything worth has the quote, it has the quote, anything worth what, anything worth doing is dangerous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, safety is highly mm-hmm. overrated. I don't want to live in a bubble. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's easy for us to say that, it's over because we are out. We are visible for the world to see as the individuals that we are. You know, it's not that easy for you know someone who isn't as visible. You know, and yep. So, you know, and when you're not, when someone who is not visible is considering, you know, taking a stand as who they are, you know, they have to consider, you know, am I going to get singled out? You know, mm-hmm. will I be when I be blacklisted, like an example for you know being singled out and blacklisted, in one of my previous shows, um, All Acts of Love and Pleasure with Dr. Susan and myself, we were very visible. We were very upfront about our feelings on um, trans-exclusionary radical feminism. Mm-hmm. And... Susan would say to me quite often, I'm painting a bullseye on my back um, for her stance on it within the goddess community because that's, that's, you know, in paganism, that is one of the biggest uh, communities to have hers. Ugh. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there was a chance for her being blacklisted from any number of goddess uh, spiritual events or retreat. I don't I don't know if she did. I think she did on a, from a few. But out of that visibility, 
out of her taking a stand for that, she's been able to build up the trans community within the goddess spirituality community, the same community many, many, many times. And, um, you know, she's even created a few of her own gatherings for people that are all gender exclusive, uh, inclusive, or, you know, inclusive for trans individuals and anyone else who is um, gender non-conforming. That's what I was trying to say. Gender gender non-conforming inclusive spaces. So, and another thing is, you know, loss of friends. You know, taking a stand as who you are or taking a stand for someone else, being visible for someone else, being visible for yourself on an issue can cost you friends. But I, yeah. you know, I kind of put in the, you know, were they really friends to begin with if you lost them because of this? What, what do you think? Well, that's something I personally um, struggled with. But then, so I, I'm not sure if you're on the, <laughs> uh, but like, um, I can't, I can't, I came out in like two phases. One was just to, I had a, a lesbian coworker, uh, so I came out to her, and we talked, and I came out to uh, my mom and my brothers and my dad, and um, I was very lucky. My parents were, and my family, they were very supportive, and they, they, um, uh, they praised me for being brave, um, but um, I wasn't completely out. So I remember during that in-between time, I really felt this, like, um, straddling two worlds, and, like, that that negotiation of my safety each and every time I had interaction and, you know, this question of do I come out or not uh, at work or with this friend or that friend or this stranger on the street. And it was just too much for me, you know? Um, So um, I'm not necessarily recommending this to the folks out there, but what I actually did (laughs) is um, I had a coming out party uh, organized by my lesbian friend. uh, uh, And basically I gave her all my contacts. And back then uh, this might, they were all my email contacts. So they were like personal, professional. Like I basically gave her all my pop, all the emails I've ever sent in my whole history of emails. And everyone was invited by Evite to my coming out party, you know? And uh, it also doubled as a, a coach drive because it was the winter. <laughs> um, but part of my thing was that, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this. Um, uh, at least from my experience, you know, I can't speak to yours or others, but when I was, you know, I had very close friends. I had like strong community, but then I struggled because while while I was in the closet, and this might resonate with, with some folks, um, even though we were very close friends, uh, there was always a question that gnawing in my head that uh, they might not be right uh, if if they knew this, about this part of me. Uh, and so, in many ways. Um, um, it was that question mark, right? No matter how much of a strong relationship I had with them and no matter how close they felt with me. Um, so I, I kind of came to like the resolution that, listen, it, it, everyone's invited to my coming out party. Uh, if you are not cool with it, um, let's move on. You know what I mean? And then if you are cool with it, you'll be at my party and we're going to have a drink and we'll have a good time, you know? Uh, and let's celebrate me in this moment. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as like losing friends, um, I know. I feel like 
uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, at least from my experience, the friends that might have like drifted away, um, I would say that they weren't real friends. But then I think that also at, at, on that same note, like sometimes when you become more yourself, um, uh, it scares people or people realize that uh, the person who they thought you were is not you anymore. And then if you find issue with it, then, you know, they'll step away. Um, not to be just all about it, it gets better, but I, you know, uh, I think part of, part of that um, loss is that it creates space for a real intimate relationship, you know? Uh, so the friends that I've made since then, the ones that are real friends, uh, are real friends, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, that's my experience. How about you guys? Um, so I, I shared a little bit about my particular coming out story and I've talked about it in other podcasts. Um, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of it for myself, but I do want to cover one particular thing. Um, and this is for people who are, you know, thinking about coming out or who are going through, um, especially with family, um, you know, friends is, you know, friend relationships can be family-like or maybe not, but um, for people who you either are related to or who you consider your who you consider to be your family, um, you know, oftentimes one of the things that is really challenging for people in coming out is this idea of like, what happens? What happens if I lose these people in my life who are very important? Um, and so, you know, you stay in the closet out of fear of that, um, and or you know, you encounter somebody who is just really unable to process, you know, or who is unable to immediately embrace your new, newly expressed anyway, identity. Um, And one of the things that, you know, you find this especially a lot in a lot of young people now um, more than anything else, but um, of this, like, you have to either accept me now or we're done and I'm cutting off all contact, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but also one of the things to kind of keep in mind, and this is something that really helped me in dealing with, like, my mom and dad who, you know, we have a great relationship, but they weren't and aren't super happy with the fact that I'm gay, um, is that the thing that you have to keep in mind when you come out to, to people, especially when you come out to someone who has known you for your for your entire life, um, mm-hmm. is that you know, they had a very specific idea of who you were in their head. You know, the, the person that you are in, in their mind or to them, you know, is, is a real person, right? And so now that you have told them this fundamentally changing thing about who you are, that person who was in their head has died, like mm-hmm. in terms of the bra- in terms of the response of the brain and the response of the the you know the nervous system and the endocrine system it is as though that person has died mm. and so one of the things that you sort of have to let that person navigate is they have to navigate the grieving process mm. and you know for some people it's a real you know they've they may have been prepared for it for a long time you know it's almost a stereotype at this point where you hear somebody come out as, you know, gay or come out as a lesbian or whatever. And their family says, yeah, we know we were waiting for you to figure it out, you know? Um, And that's great when that happens, but you know, you also have the other side of that spectrum where they're like, no, no, it can't possibly be. There's no way, you know, 
And so you end up what you end up happening is when you when you sit down and objectively look at the reaction of the other people is they're going through the stages of grief. You know, they're going through the anger and the denial and the bargaining. Like, well, but maybe if you just find the right girl, you'll be able to, you know, get get through this, right? Or just you know, give me no, one grandchild. <laughs> yeah, you know, get I just want one grandchild. Like give me grandbabies, you know. They're, you're you're literally dealing with somebody who is going through the stages of grief, mm. you know, and eventually they will generally get to the place of acceptance. And if they don't, then that's fine. You do you. And, you know, sometimes you got to cut people off like you got you have to you have to do what is right for you. But, you know, don't be my only advice, really, I guess, with this is just don't be hasty in terms of like cutting people out of your life. Because, you know, much like their, much like their, uh, their idea of you was a real person for, for them, like your idea of them is not necessarily who they are, right? Because, you know, we don't inhabit each other's minds. We don't know everything about each other. Mm-hmm. So, you know, allow people a certain amount of space to come to grips with this drastic change in the person that they thought they knew but also don't take any shit from people and don't let people dictate to you who you are you are the expert in who you are mm-hmm. and sorry go ahead Michael <laughs> <laughs> no sorry I'm so I'm processing everything that you're saying and whatnot <laughs> um, I have strong feelings I'm sorry <laughs> Yeah, no, I no, I totally understand. I don't know. I when I look at the situation, I see yet you know going into the you know the coming out in the whole grieving process for oh the person that I thought you that I had in my head of who you are is dead and whatnot and. Like you're saying, if they can't fully process it and whatnot, but I don't know, in my head I have this notion of sorry, I mean I have this notion of when you know when they do the bargaining and whatnot that it's a form it's kind of a form of manipulation. Um, Mm. But I feel like that's, that's part of some other topic that we can cover in the future. Like, we, I, I don't know what exactly, but I feel like I could go on for a while on something like that. <laughs> um, and we may even need to bring in a psychologist. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Possibly. It's interesting uh, because... Uh, uh, Sorry, go ahead, Michael. I wanted to know, is there anything, like, you know, a present for you there? Even if you don't, like, unpack it completely. I I can't unpack it at the moment. So what okay. you? <laughs> okay. I, I just remember, like, um, Chase, when you started talking about, like, you know, we're, the question was about friends, but when you mentioned family, I was like, ah. And then I also, um, you know, that, that study about um, uh, parents and how, they go through a grieving process and they need time. Um, even like, um, you know, being part of like these conferences of like a gathering of a, a Korean parents of queer children, queer trans children, 
And a, a lot of them, the, a lot of them who um, are doing the work of allies uh, often said, hey, you know, be patient with your parents, give us time, you know. And, I, and if I'm being completely honest, there was a large part of me that was like, why the fuck do you need time to know if you love me or not, you know? And I, I feel like that's, I think that's something that we want to, I'm not sure if that's what you're touching on, Michael, a little bit, but um, I remember, yeah. I, you know, and, and the, I remember the first time someone told me that during my coming out process, I, I, I was, my, my reaction was anger, you know, I was like, um, you know, I didn't choose to be, to be like um, born, I didn't choose to be like fertilized, you know, um, like you all decided having kids, and then I, I, you know, I mean, I, I was so angry. I, I finally come to a place where I could see, yes, I see the truth of that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, just, just, I guess I'm just kind of like just sharing in like a messy, non-verbal kind of a way. But <laughs> I just remember <laughs> that in that moment, um, even now, and this is fairly recently too, like um, in Korean, you say chamo. Chamo literally means just be patient or wait or literally wait, you know? And I, it just felt so, um, I don't know, I, 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 you know, I, I, I understood it, but at the same time, I was just like, uh, who are you to tell me to wait? You know, like, why should we have to wait, you know, when, you know, but um, I don't know. I, and, but at the same time, you know, I, you know, hearing that study, uh, it's true. And the other piece of it, too, is that often when you're preparing to come out, you know, like, uh, it's often mentioned that you knew that you were queer or trans or gender non-conforming for X number of time while you were preparing to come out, right? But your parents uh, presumably did not know this whole time, you know? Um, so I guess there's kind of this idea of like, it took you this amount of time to come to terms with it. And maybe, uh, you know, at least the same amount of time is needed by your parents or family or friends. Um, so yeah, it's true, but I, I guess I also just want to throw out there that um, uh, my experience with anger, and I, I want to just say that sometimes anger is an acceptable response, you know, <laughs> although it might not be the most constructive, but sometimes uh, that's what it comes out as, you know? Um, Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was very angry for a very long time because, yeah. you know, I got, I got taken to, I got taken to don't be gay camp. You know, I got taken, I got, I got to go to conversion therapy, um, you know, and I was very angry for a very long time about, you know, about this, like, you know, why, why could I not just be accepted? Why could I, why did I have to be fixed? Right? Like, I'm not broken. Why do I need to be repaired? Um, And really having to come to grasp with the fact that, you know, as, as I don't, I, and I certainly will never ever speak to how other people who their families have, have sent them to the same thing. But right. I know that the reasons that my parents decided to make that decision for me was that they were afraid for me, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, because as far as they knew, what happens when you're gay is that you get AIDS and you die young. Right. Like that's just that's that's what happens to gay people is they get you know they get horrible STDs they they get they get AIDS and then they die, um, mm-hmm. and you know because sort of circling back, um, not a lot of queer visibility right especially not in these small towns, um, mm-hmm. you know my my parents were my parents were coming of age, you know during 
the during the you know initial AIDS crisis like that that was when they were growing into adults mm. so you know for them that was a real thing you yeah. know if you know cuz they they saw what little exposure there you know eventually came in the media was that gay people get AIDS and die and so you know when they look at me their child they're like we don't want you to die Right. So we're going to do whatever we can try to do to keep you from dying, right? Which I feel right. like is sort of a natural parental thing, right? Like, don't let your kids play in the street. Don't let them, you know, huff paint, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But conversely, you know, like, if I, I do know for a fact that if my parents, if the reasoning behind my parents deciding to put me through conversion therapy, which cough, cough, it didn't work, um, had been, we are ashamed to have a gay son, you know, what will people think mm-hmm. kind of thing, like, then my, well, first of all, my relationship with them would be non-existent, you know, first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, to it took me a very long time to get to this place mm-hmm. you know it took me a very long time to come out of the anger place and you know i don't feel that there i i know that there is much much ado in the pagan communities about not allowing yourself to succumb to anger you know one of my absolutely least favorite memes that always gets shared in pagan circles is the two wolves meme you know one of them is you know love and light and fluffy feelings and the other is anger and sadness and depression and whichever right. one wins is the one you feed i fucking hate that i hate mm-hmm. it oh my god i hate it so much oh my god it makes me so fucking angry because right. your emotions are a thing that you feel your emotions are your body's way of trying to give you information right and and you feel emotions because that's what your body is set up to do. Your body feels those emotions because hormones and brain chemicals. If you weren't supposed to feel those brain, if you weren't supposed to feel those emotions, no one would have those brain chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, and for someone like me who struggles with things like depression, because my brain doesn't make the happy chemicals. Um mm-hmm that sort of thing is incredibly disempowering, right? Like, oh, well, I guess, you know, then there's something wrong with me because I'm feeling this way. Um, you know, don't people let people be angry. You know, when people are, when, when marginalized people have experienced oppression, yeah. they're going to feel anger at that oppression. And that has to be okay, right? Like as a person, once again, circling back, as a person who you know, is trying to be an ally to other marginalized communities. Like you have to be able to recognize that the anger, which is being directed at you is not really being directed at you necessarily. Mm -hmm. If you did not do something, you know, for example, like I don't say the N word. So when people of, when, when black people get mad at white people saying the N word, I don't get upset. I know that I don't say that word, right? And when I see them being upset at that, like, I understand, like, yeah, this is totally not, this is a thing which is not cool and that, you know, white people need to stop fucking saying. Um, 
and you know as as literally the most uh, superficial of examples but you know it, it's it's when we were talking about pride right the first pride was a riot like it you know and it's it's been turned it has been sort of turned into this you know sort of corporate machine largely because capitalism recognized that you know queer people often don't have children and so we have a lot of disposable income theoretically um and so you know it makes more sense to advertise to us because we theoretically have more disposable income um unless of course you're you know a person of color or trans or a sex worker or uh you know all of those things um and i i remember very distinctly having a having an argument with people on the internet uh imagine the surprise um about um the decision to move the Houston Pride Parade into downtown and because early on the people who were the people who were talking about moving pride into downtown out of the Montrose and for people who have no idea what where Houston is or what the Montrose is Montrose is the historic LGBT or historic gay district of uh Houston um and for forever the Houston Pride Parade happened in Montrose um because that's where the que- that's where the queers were um it was decided uh, a couple of years before I moved to Portland um, that they were going to move this to downtown. And the initial reason that was given was literally to make Pride a more family-friendly uh, event so that sponsors would be more likely to give money. Um, because, you know... When it was in the Montrose, you had a lot of people who were, well, not naked because it was Texas. Um, And A, nobody wants to get sunburned, and B, they're really conservative about public nudity. Um, You know, that was was looked at as, oh, you know – we're going to play respectability politics, right? Like we're going to, we're going to need you to tone that. We're going to need you to tone down the rampant faggotry just a little bit. Like no more people, you know, nearly naked in chats, no more, you know, none of that. Like we, we have to, we have to show the straights that we're just like them so that they'll give us rights, Mm -hmm. which is horse shit. Um, (laughs) Um, and later the story was changed to, you know, well, actually, we want to do this for safety concerns because, you know, it's easier for us to have a police presence to keep everyone safe in downtown than it is in the Montrose. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, once again, uh, I don't think cops should be at Pride, mm-hmm. um, given that Pride came about as a response to cops raiding gay bars um you know i don't really feel like they should necessarily be there um but uh, i know that's a rather contentious topic so um i yeah i i just think that there is you know while we want to be more visible we really have to those of us who care for the work anyway i suppose we really have to figure out ways to like be visible and still be authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, like don't 
it, it, it does us absolutely no good to be visible if our visibility is to show we're just like white, cis, heterosexual America. Mm-hmm. Um, because then we're not being visible, we're blending in. That's literally the opposite of, vi- of visibility. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, we, you know, like, like you said, we're here and we're queer. Get over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, yeah. we exist, we exist in our, in our wonderful, weird, sometimes, you know, terrifying queerness. And you have two options, get over it or eat a dick. <laughs> we should make like uh keep pride weird t-shirts, you know? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Hmm. <laughs> There's actually something similar happening here in New York too. Uh, last year, uh, so I've been marching in the Pride Parade here in New York for the past, uh, I want to say, 12 years now. Um, and uh, originally, I mean, as you know, originally it was a riot, right? And then the the, the parade itself uh, was an act of protest. So for folks that are not familiar with Manhattan, we we would start at 59th Street which is just the southern wall of Central Park. And we would go down Fifth Avenue, passing by St. Patrick's Cathedral and all these other like very large cathedrals, the Episcopalian Church, uh, as an act of protest. And then it would uh, finish off in the village. Um, now over the years, they kept shortening it. So the starting point went from 59th Street to the 40s to, to the 30s. And then uh, just last year, they changed it. So you actually start uh, further south, but on 7th Avenue, uh, which is just another um, vertical street, you swing through the village, and then you head north up 6th Avenue away from uh, the gay community, you know? So it's like this interesting way. Like, I, I, I definitely see, like, arguments about like oh i mean the village was originally a ghetto right so the streets are not um straight <laughs> uh you know they're not like grid work they're actually like like very much crooked and and lovely queer <laughs> uh and but uh, you know uh, but uh, all these people pulling into the village sure it, it creates a traffic jam it creates all these things but at the same time symbolically it's exactly what it needs to be right um but now you're, we actually march through the village and we uh, spill out um, on 6th Avenue, which is a very commercial, um, very wide street, you know? Um, anyway, so it's interesting. And there's, there's actually something called um, Reclaiming Pride that's happening. There's actually a, a counter protest slash march that's happening on the same day this year. Um, oh, good. So it's interesting the, the work around that, you know, maintaining. Uh, uh, a weirdness, right? A queerness to Pride Parade. <laughs> anyway, yay visibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, before, oh, we, before we wrap up, I just want to say a couple of things. Um, kind of tying into what you two have just been saying, there's actually been a movement here in Dallas. Well, not movement. There was a meeting or something not that long ago. But Dallas Gay Pride has always been in September. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I don't know. I've heard different stories. Like uh, I've heard people say that it was because the people who own the gay bars want people to go. You know, they want to go. They want them to go to Houston, and then they want them to come to Dallas for Pride and whatnot. Because mm. it's the same company that most of the gay bars. Uh, 
Like, I've heard that. I've heard other reasons, like, not as hot in September or whatnot. But uh, Dallas's official Pride is going to be in June this year. And it's going to be at Fair Park. It's not going to be in uh, Cedar Springs, which is our gay ghetto, or our historically gay area uh, mm-hmm. this year. So, and they they had various reasons as to why it's going to be there. And there's actually a group called Queer Bomb Dallas that are wanting to do a pride that is not corporate sponsored and whatnot around the same time that the official Dallas Pride is going to be here. And that's just a couple of things I wanted to throw in there because uh, we have definitely been talking for way longer than an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. I need to them. <laughs> um, but what are... We haven't talked about your bookmarks yet, Michael. <laughs> hmm? We still haven't talked about your bookmarks yet. That's okay. We can do the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what... Do you two have any, you know, closing thoughts or ideas around visibility, you know, before we officially sign off? Uh, absolutely. Um, my, my hope and desire for people would be to be as, be as absolutely visible as you are capable of being in the situation you find yourself. Um, don't let fear rule you because fear only serves to keep you down and go out there and hex patriarchy kids. <laughs> the cis hetero uh, patriarchy, especially. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah, ditto. And um, I guess I would just add the, uh, I think for, maybe I'll speak to that person who has not, has yet to become visible, right? Um, For whether for discomfort or for safety. Um, I just want to say that uh, we see you. And uh, I think for many of the folks that have chosen visibility, have embraced visibility and have felt safe enough, like, um, we do it knowing uh, that there are folks that who do not have access to that. So we see you, we do it for you, uh, and we'll carry that torch until you're able to join us in the sun. Bravo. I don't think I could add anything else to what either of you have said. But, um, you know, I just want to say thank you both for, you know, being on the, you know, being on the show today, you know, I love this conversation that we were able to have. And thank you to anyone who might be listening right now. <laughs> um, but, um, so, you know, we are coming to a close on today, tonight's show, today, tonight, whenever. Um, and we'd like to thank everyone who is listening in the future, listening now, obviously. You know, thank you again to our brother, Matthew, who has helped donate to make the show possible. And I will be working on, I've had a couple people actually come up to me and volunteer to help get some stuff done behind the scenes. Like uh, one of our brothers has approached me about helping to get a Patreon up and running for the show. And that's the other thing. Uh, Had a couple of our brothers already come up to me and say they would like to talk about this on the show. 
But we have stuff coming up for everyone. Um, we have a, we I was we just had someone who we had on the show in the past come up and say they want to come back on, talk about a new book. So we hope you will continue to walk this path with us. Uh, you know, if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any comments on anything we said tonight, um, you know, please email us at walkingunmadepath at gmail.com. Um, you know, if you are someone on Twitter, you know, we're at walking, I mean, we're on Twitter at walking underscore the UP. And of course, there's always Facebook, um, facebook.com slash, sorry, like <coughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> sorry, we're at facebook.com slash walking the online path. Um, again, thank you guys. I love you both. Love you. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Chase. Love you, gentlemen. Have a wonderful evening. <laughs> yes. Blessings, and we will see you next time. Bye. Cool. Cheers, Squirrels. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.